You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Before we go further, I just want to drop a little line here. Tweet us at BHPhotoVideo with the hashtag BHPhotoPodcast if you like what you're listening to. Photographers tend to be solitary creatures, and while you can get away with working solo with many editorial assignments, commercial assignments require teamwork and a lot of pre-production planning. Our guest today is Lindsay Adler. She's a New York City-based fashion photographer and photographic educator. Lindsay shoots editorial and commercial photography, and she's a proud member of Canon's Explorers of Light. Lindsay has been kind enough to join us today to talk about the collaborative realities of producing fashion shoots for heavy hitter clients. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Let's start off. Could you walk us through a shoot from client to cover? Absolutely. You know, what I think is really interesting is that people ask me all the time, how much do you shoot? How often do you shoot? And that I, was my next question. You just jumped the gun on me on this. Yikes. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's related to this that when I tell people I only shoot maybe once, twice a week, that would be for a, a bigger production assignment. They're really surprised, but they don't realize how much work goes into a single shoot. There are days, even weeks of preparation. So when I walk you through this, there are a lot of steps. You ready? Mm-hmm. But let me ask you one thing first. Yeah. You do two kinds of work. Now, I, I used to shoot a lot of editorial and stuff, so I know what that's about. You do editorial and you also do commercial, and there's differences between the two of them. Right. All right? So could you, in, a, in, in sort of a nutshell, give us an idea what the differences would be production-wise, pre-production-wise, between going editorial and a larger commercial shoot, advertising shoot? Absolutely. So as a fashion photographer, the term editorial usually means, you know, those images in the back of a magazine, maybe six to 10 pages, all based on a theme. That's Mm -hmm. what editorial means in the fashion world. And one of the bigger differences between commercial and fashion editorial is that as a photographer and as an artist, I have more control in editorial. When I work with a magazine, I'm given some really basic outlines. For example, what's the theme of this issue or what's the season? Um, I also know the type of models they typically are going to be featuring. I also know the type of brands that perhaps for makeup that they'll have or clothing. So I have to keep within those confines of what their magazine represents and what the issue's theme is. But usually what I do is I pitch an idea with a collection of images to represent what I'm going to be shooting. And then from there, I, I get to be creative. Like the rest of it, just kind of up to me, the way that it's going to be shot, the color palette, all of that. Whereas with a commercial assignment, there the client is involved every step of the way. You're going so detailed as to sketch out poses and the exact color palette, and you're discussing the set beforehand. Editorial, they get the general idea, and then you just shoot it. Let me ask you this. Does, does having that step-by-step, uh, let's call it a collaboration, maybe it's not quite, but does it make for a better final product, do you think, or not necessarily? I think it's going to depend on the photographer. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do is I try to prepare as much as possible to put as much good stuff in front of my camera as possible to allow me to be creative in the moment. So it can be stifling if you have someone that's sticking exactly to sketches and they want to do just that. And maybe it's not quite working and you want to try something different and they're pushing that point. But the more I can prepare beforehand, the better the results are going to be because then I can get more creative. So it depends on the photographer, depends on the assignment. And in that in that commercial style setting, are you happy if the client's happy, basically? Yeah, I would say for commercial shoots, I have a lot more satisfaction out of the client being happy. Mm-hmm. And I will say most of the time when they're happy, I actually am happy with the work, especially since you are working face-to-face with an individual. You're picking up their energy, right. they're picking up yours, and so you're feeding off of each other and you're, you're improving the shoot based on um, their vision and your vision meeting in the middle. Um, so, it, yeah, so and I definitely get You'll be dealing, in, in that case, with their, their creative director, their art director, or who will be the person? Exactly. Well, so why don't I, do you want me to backtrack and, yeah. like, actually tell that whole commercial story? 
Absolutely. All right, perfect. So I'm going to use a very specific example of a commercial shoot I did recently. It wasn't commercial fashion, but it was using my fashion styling for a commercial project. So I was shooting for a particular printer, uh, like to print photographs. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we start off in the very beginning, what are the goals of this assignment? What are we trying to achieve? So are we showcasing, in general, it might be shoes or texture of clothing or it might be lifestyle. So what this brand makes you feel or what you want uh, the particular client you're trying to appeal to. So for this particular project, what we were trying to show is we wanted to show the amazing detail mm. that it can print. We were trying to show uh, detail in the shadow areas and in the blacks, mm. and then also the ability to reproduce really saturated colors. So no matter what projects we start off with, it's what is the goal? Is it technical? Is it uh, emotional? What are we trying to And achieve? those ideas were brought to you by the client in this case. Exactly. Yeah. And it will be in, in every case, right. pretty much. They're going to say, this is our goal. This is our target audience. This is what we want to achieve. And then typically they will, they will either ask me one of two things. Either they will say, here's an idea we have. What's your take on it? Or they will say, pitch me ideas. Now, for this particular example, it was Lindsay pitched me ideas. Mm -hmm. In other cases, what they'll say is, here's, and this is for other brands, here's previous campaigns that we've done. We want it to still look and feel like these, but here's our new take that we want. So it's interesting because you're, you're navigating another person's brand, but then also trying to integrate your own style because that's why they hired you. Right. It was your vision. All right, so we get these goals up. And then the next thing is they say, okay, Lindsay, what we want you to do is pitch us ideas. And so it's really interesting because it's a part of my job that's problem solving. And hmm. I am going to start thinking, okay, their problem is they want to reach this audience and communicate this message. I need a visual solution that is eye-catching. Because it's said that we see more than 5,000 marketing or advertising-oriented images a day. This doesn't mean 5,000 <laughs> images. Right. 5,000 visuals meant to sell you something or capture your attention. So I've got to figure out not only how do I get their message across, how do I achieve their goal, but how do I do it and stand out from 5,000 other visuals? Mm -hmm. So the next thing that I do is I will pitch some ideas. And when I pitch these ideas, I put together something called a mood board. And a mood board is a collection of images based on a theme. And basically, when you look at these photos, you should understand, knowing my style and probably the brand I'm working with, what the end shoot will look like. Maybe not identically, but the idea. And the, the mood board are your images that you've shot previously, or it could be from anywhere? It's images from anywhere. Right. And so I'll use things from, I do a lot of research on Pinterest, mm -hmm. or it might be other photographers I admire, or it could be from anything like a classical painting, if right. that were you know, appropriate for it. So for, for the first question, for this assignment, your work, was it going to appear in print form coming off the printer? Because yes. usually what they do is they show gorgeous images coming off the printer. Yes. So your role in this assignment was to come up with the picture that was coming off the printer. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. That, that's going to be the end result. And it's not out yet, so I'm going really vague. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just going like nice okay. nice and vague with it. But yeah, that, that's exactly what it'll end up okay. being. Okay. So the next part of this whole thing is I pitch the mood boards. And on a mood board for a fashion shoot, I'm going to have an image that represents hair, makeup, wardrobe, lighting, set design, like whatever is going to go into this shoot. And so this is the part also where we start talking about collaboration because this is when I'm going to start thinking, okay, so now if we go with this hair and makeup, who's going to be the best artist to execute this from my team? And wardrobe, is my wardrobe stylist going to be able to get this particular clothing? Who am I going to hire to design a set? Mm -hmm. And so when I look at my early fashion work, it was – so solidly mediocre, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like I don't That's even. That's called growth, by the way. That's yeah. good. That's a good thing. Yeah, I don't even think I don't even think mediocre would be an appropriate word. It was. <laughs> some of it's really bad. But the biggest growth was, I mean, obviously vision, and I learned more technique. But working with other talented people made all the difference because Absolutely. now they can bring their vision. I can show them this is what I want with the hair. And in the past, I would just like try to do it myself, and it was a miserable failure. So and We'll get more to this oh, yeah. maybe later, but how important is it to be able to kind of put your ego aside and accept what your collaborators are bringing to you? Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because I, I do meet a lot of photographers that are, like you said, liking to shoot on their own, and it's a you know, one-man show. Um, it is so 
so much a collaborative effort to get other people's feedback because I'm not an expert in hair. I'm not an expert in makeup. I'm not an expert in, in wardrobe. I'm, I picture myself as a director. Mm-hmm. Even though obviously I am still clicking the frames, a director, um, this individual, they're not actually necessarily setting up the lighting and they're not moving the camera physically. What they're doing is they're making the entire overall vision come to life. And so, yes, I am actually clicking the camera and I do often set up lights, but I think of it the same way is I, I'm going to give the hair and makeup an idea of what I want. I want to see what other ideas they have. They might have a 10 times better idea than I ever thought of because that's not my specialty. So I absolutely bounce ideas back and forth with them. They, we exchange images, we exchange phone calls, we have meetings. So. But at the end of the day, you're the adult in the situation because that you're the one who the client turned to. Exactly. So you ultimately have to answer for all of it anyway. Well, what's nice about the type of work that I do is, well, there's a good and bad. If something goes wrong, it's all my fault. If something goes right, it's all my credit. Right. <laughs> so it's excellent. Do you often have the opportunity to choose who's going to be doing the hair and makeup or when the client comes to you, do they already have people lined up? You know, or, or, or does it vary? Almost all the time, they ask me for my team because when they're hiring me, they know that my team and the look of my images, I was working with particular individuals. So they will ask me to give them a couple of choices, perhaps, give me a couple examples of hair and makeup, and then those individuals could give their price point or whatever it may be so we can try to work within a budget. Um, But most of the time, they're coming to me for my look and they say, okay, we love this particular shoot you did. And so I have an idea, okay, they like that hairstylist, mm-hmm. that makeup artist, and so on. So then the, the makeup artist in this case will then deal for her or his fee with the client directly or you – let's talk budgeting at one certain yeah, point. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it totally it, – this is going to depend. I have had certain commercial shoots where they said, we want you to give us the full price and estimate to produce this vision that you've pitched to us. Include hair, include makeup. You talk to the people, just tell us what it's going to cost and we'll figure out if that is going to work with our budget. And I think this is a great learning point. Uh, There's a program out there that I use called Blink Bid. Mm -hmm. So it's like blinking your eyes, Blink Bid. And what it does is for commercial shoots, you go through it and it goes line by line, all of the things you could charge for, all of the things you can consider. So even like I've, I will do a shoot where I'm casting for a model. I'll have a full day in my studio where models come to me and I'm seeing if they're the right fit for the shoot. I can charge for that day. Right. Um, and so I wouldn't have ever thought of this before Blink Bid where it breaks down light, line items, you know, one by one. And then it also put in there hair and makeup and I know what my team charges for different shoots. So a lot of times they'll say to me, please just give me an estimate. And so then what I will do is I will give them this the blink bit estimate and it actually spits out a PDF and it's all formalized. Mm-hmm. It includes things like the the terms of use. So this is for a project for advertising in the United States for one year print and online. And it will you just you fill those in and it actually writes it up in legalese, which is really nice because mm-hmm. that's not my specialty. And then it even gives you a line item for how much you should be getting for licensing, which is the Based on how the image is going to be used, you get paid different amounts. So that's actually built right into BlinkBid. So I like to use that. There are other times where they'll say, you give us the photography fee. Why don't you recommend some hair and makeup artists? And then we'll negotiate them. Because typically they know they're going to probably be able to get it cheaper Mm -hmm. if they're negotiating directly versus if I just kind of lump in that fee. So it depends Mm -hmm. on the client. That that, uh, uh, BlinkBid seems like a very, very good idea because – most photographers are horrific business people and wouldn't even think of charging for a lot of things that they're entitled to. So to me, that's a great you know tool to have. makes a lot of sense for me. Yeah, there's things even like uh, charging to buy extra hard drives so that you have a hard drive dedicated specifically to that job. Mm-hmm. In the commercial world, I wouldn't have known I could buy two hard drives so I have a backup right away. I would yeah. just thought, oh, that's that's my fee. I can even on commercial jobs... I own a ton of gear, okay? Like, I'm a, I'm a massive gear nerd. I have more gear than anyone I personally know. Hmm. Um, I can charge for using my gear. Th- th- I can charge sure. for the, the use of my 
Canon 5DS and I can go look up online, what would a rental fee? And I can build that right into the cost. Mm -hmm. And just, this is going off topic, but what I usually do to make my bid seem more attractive is I'll break down all the costs. It would, if you used all of my gear, how much it would cost you to rent it. And then I zero it out and say, you just saved $2,000. And so it makes me look more attractive. For those of you who are listening, take that note down. That's a very good tip right there. That's true. It's very good. Is it safe to assume that you, you do your best to work with the same people all the time? Imagine there's some people that you like, that you work with, you click, you, you, you don't even need to talk because they already know what you're thinking. You know exactly how it works. That is completely true. So yeah. uh, I have a core, I have pretty much one wardrobe stylist that I work with and I have pretty much two hair and makeup people. So they both do hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because I'll say something that to you guys would probably make zero sense. I will say, um, give me a glowy summary skin to Griselle. Glowy summary. She knows exactly the look I'm looking for. She knows the color tonality. She knows the uh, the actual texture to the skin I want. And I'll say, and um, go contour, and then I'll reference another shoot, like the look of another shoot. And she'll know, okay, that's the look. So sometimes it's fantastic to work with these people because they know my style and they know what I'm looking for. And mm-hmm. so it, it it, it just makes confidence. everything easier, too. Yeah. I'm a fashion photographer, and people look at my work, and they'll see hair and makeup and think, those people are so expensive. Or, yeah, you you live in New York, and, you know, you're, you've are you got this big name, so, of course, you can get, get good hair and makeup. And I just want to say as a, you know, as an encouraging note to people, I met these hairstylists, makeup artists, wardrobe styles when they were more just starting on Model Mayhem. It's not like these are huge names from huge magazines that I got these special connections that hooked me up with these people. No, I lived in upstate New York. I lived in Binghamton, which is about three and a half, four hours from here. And what I did is I went on to Model Mayhem. I searched in the New York City area. I found people that I could tell were talented, but maybe just hadn't found a good photographer yet. So these are people that would be willing to work with me. They weren't above my level. I reached out, I would pitch ideas, and I'd pitch very solid ideas. like. I love the hairstyle you did in this image. I'm doing a shoot in three weeks where I think your skill here would work perfectly. I'd pitch really solid ideas, and then I would test with people. And I probably did test, meaning unpaid shoots, just to test one another out. I probably did two dozen before I found just the right hairstylist makeup artist and just the right wardrobe stylist. And now we've been working together for six years. So it's not like I have... You know, superior connections that helped me skip steps. No, I, I did it the same way as everyone else would have to do. You did your it. homework. Yeah. To back up, uh, uh, John asked a question earlier about uh, uh, creative freedom, editorial versus advertising. And is it safe to assume that uh, for your advertising, people are selecting you, clients are selecting you for your look, for the way you do things, for the way you execute photographs? Because they're already trusting you your eye and your creative process, does that give you a little bit more wiggle room? Like they give you a layout that's pretty, say, rigid. Do they, you know, because they chose you to do this, do they trust you to say, hey, I see what you want here. Can I take this another direction? Or do you do that without telling them? It's funny you say that. It really, it really depends. But for most of the time, I feel like when these commercial clients come to you with an idea, they've kind of mostly decided like this is the look and it's feel we want. It's hammered out already. That's it. Okay. it, it dep- so uh, I got hired recently to shoot um, advertising for like a high-end prom dress company. Okay. And uh, they basically said, here's the color gray background we wanted on. <laughs> and then this is the type of makeup. And then you just make them look pretty. Like it, it, So, I mean, there was no creative freedom there. That was just do this. This is what we want. Now, granted, there are other times who said, okay, now this is kind of what we're feeling. What do you think, Lindsay? Pitch us an idea. What's a direction? So they let mm-hmm. you know right away. But um, I thought I think people would find this interesting. <laughs> when, they were, when I was pitching for this uh, prom dress company, uh, I was shooting catalog and advertisement. And I brought my portfolio in. They flipped through the whole thing, and they're looking at it, and they go – do you have any samples shot on a slightly darker gray? You have light gray and you have black. Do you have something darker? And it, <laughs> it's really weird. A, a lot of people can't think. No. They, it's <laughs> like we have to photograph a red Chevrolet, but they only photograph blue Chevrolets. Can they do red? Exactly. It's so That's weird. That, that happens a lot. Mind-blowing. It's yeah. so interesting. And I, I, I was probably a little, uh, a little, I don't want to say overconfident, but I said, any background color you want me to shoot, I can do that for you. I don't have 
the exact shade of gray that you're looking for, but I promise you I can do it. <laughs> it was just so, so I'm up to the challenge. I'm <laughs> up to the challenge. <laughs> and yeah, you so. said you were flipping through a portfolio. Do you still bring a Vulcan? That, uh, That's uh, what I was doing. You said flipping through pages. Wow, what a concept. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. They actually still want to see printed mm -hmm. physical books. And one of the reasons is because they can see the type of imagery that you produce. How can it translate to the print? Because if this is going right. to be in a magazine or if this is going to be in a print outlet, they want to see, can you keep the detail in the black? Ah, how is it? Okay. Because a lot of times online, uh, the detail's crushed. Sure, and yeah. it's it's popular and you're losing that detail. But they're, they're knowing that's not actually the medium that it will be shown in. So they still want to see the prints to see if you're able to capture and produce that information. Good point. So, yeah, I, uh, I have a portfolio from House of Portfolios here mm -hmm, in New mm -hmm. York, and I've got one portfolio for beauty, one portfolio for fashion, and one that kind of crosses the bounds between mm -hmm. both of them. And what would you say is the percentage of work you do that goes to print? So percentage is still mostly online. There's mm -hmm. a lot of catalog work and there's a lot of things like that. But the higher paid stuff is often some sort of print outlet. Mm -hmm. But it's still mostly online nowadays. Can we circle back to the process and talk about how everything comes together? If you yeah. just go take us from point A to the end of the line. Okay, so I'm going to summarize this nice and succinctly every point along the line. Mm -hmm. So usually what happens is the client reaches out and they ask me – they introduce the project that they're working on and ask me either to pitch an idea or pitch an idea to me. Um, this happens anywhere between two months in advance to two weeks in advance. Two weeks would be kind of my cutoff where I feel like I can confidently bring a shoot together from start to finish. So in one of these examples, it would be maybe the printer example. They're going to say, okay, Lindsay, here's our visual goals. This is what we're trying to achieve pitch us some ideas. So I create mood boards, collection of images, other people's images, and they say, uh, present it to us. I usually present anywhere from three to six different ideas for them to look at. In person or um, It depends on where the client is. Most of the time it's just online. Okay. Um, but what I'll do is I'll pitch it online and then we will schedule a meeting to discuss what I've pitched them because then I can hear and we can bounce ideas off each other. They can say, you know what? We like what we're seeing in two, but three is achieving the goal a little bit more. How can we, how can we merge those two together? What do you think? So we'll do that. We'll look at the mood board. We bounce back and forth. And finally, we end up with, okay, here's the concept. And so then they'll say to me, all right, give me that estimate, that blink bid estimate. Give me that estimate. What's this going to cost us? Let's see if it's actually in our budget. And if we need to cut costs, how can we do it? So mm -hmm. I'll pitch it to them. They figure out if it's what the client can afford. I've got to reach out to my team, hair, makeup, wardrobe, set design, retouching, whatever there is to get the cost for this particular project. So then if it's approved, we go ahead and we pick a date. Because on their end, usually it's an advertising agency. So I need some people from there, an art director, and then maybe one or two other people. But then also the client mm -hmm. is often there. So I've got to coordinate a bunch of people's schedule and the hair and the makeup and the wardrobe. Um, from there, what I will do is I will go ahead and get models um, from model agencies. They'll give me something called a package. We'll, I'll get those packages, and I usually send some select to a client. We're looking at these type of girls. Do you think that they work for what you're thinking? And then we do something, which would be a casting day, where the girls actually come into my studio, and I see who's the best. And the reason I'm saying this, too, is sometimes people don't look like their pictures. Mm -hmm. And also, you want to see if they have the presence or the mood or the attitude, because if this is a huge project and they're not happy to be on the set. You don't want them there. It's, it's right. not going to go as smoothly. So Chemistry we, has a lot to do with it. It sure. totally does. So we'll pick the date. We'll pick the model. I will work with my hair and makeup wardrobe team, and I send them the mood boards, and we go back and forth to figure out specifically the hairstyle that they were going to use because maybe they need hair extensions or the wardrobe, the type of clothing based on the model so that it fits the model and the type of brand. And so we'll do all that. When you throw out your estimate, your budget, mm -hmm. how often do you get a kind of a, a counter, which is, well, we can't, we can't go that far. We want to, or, or, or generally they kind of go with it. Well, <laughs> what's particularly disappointing is sometimes it doesn't happen often, but sometimes clients just have no idea what something costs. So you go through that whole process and they realize they can't even do a shoot. Right. Like they, they were, <laughs> they were thinking at like $2,000 right. and 2000. I mean, yeah. I've had some big brands where like, wow, never mind. We're not even going to be able to afford a shoot. Um, other times they said, listen, you know what? 
we were actually aiming for X, Y, Z. Where do you think we could cut this cost? And it might be, well, you know what? We're not going to be able to rent that location that would be $3,500. Maybe in the studio, we'll rent a couple pieces of furniture. You know, I'll, I'll throw out those types of su- suggestions. So it definitely happens where we have counter back and forth. And the key is trying to find something that works with the budget that will still look the high quality that they hired you to produce without losing the client because you you are too rigid and, and don't want to work with them. So, Do you think it's a good idea? And I'm not saying you should do this or you do this, but is it a good idea to bump up what your estimate is, like, like in a lot of other businesses, anticipating that they're going to come back and try to hit a hammy you on it? I definitely don't do bare bones. Like I don't put the cheapest price I know I can get hair and makeup for. I put the price that I feel that they deserve. But you ever try to bump it even higher, anticipating the fact that they're going to be hitting you over the head I mean, so that you could appear flexible? Probably not too much. Just in my experience, nowadays people are a lot um, a lot more strapped for cash than you would even expect with the big companies. And you don't want to knock yourself out of the bowl game with Right, right off exactly. The bat. Yeah. It's okay. it's surprising. There are very few companies that that are willing to write the huge checks or the blank checks. So, I keep it relatively close to what I think is fair for everyone. I build in a little bit extra, um, but for the most part, I try to be relatively accurate. And then I know, okay, let's. I'm just gonna make this up, but let's say that for that particular job, I think it would be great for the hairstylist, makeup artist to make a thousand dollars. But I know they would do it for 600 And so if we're really trying to cut, I can, you know, I can move things, but right. I make sure it's fair to everybody. I would say most people, a lot, a lot of photographers, my experience, they're afraid to ask for the money. They, they, in many cases, they don't, they'd say, you know, it's just a picture. Well, it's just, this is a great point. So I, uh, I went to college at Syracuse University. And when I was planning to go to college, I asked every professional photographer I knew, what do I study in college? Not one of them told me to study photography. Not a single one. Not a single photographer said, go take, get a degree in photo. They all said, get a degree in business. So I got a degree in photography and business. I got both. <laughs> so I, I listened to them. And that's and why you're sitting here today. It makes a big difference. I had sure. a degree in entrepreneurship. And what you realize is that if I charge for that one day and that one picture, I'm forgetting the two, three, four weeks, two months that it took me to plan this and the back and the forth and the making the mood boards. That took me hours and the phone calls took me hours and the reaching out to my team. So I've got to charge for all of that to actually stay afloat. You have to acknowledge the fact that you're putting in more than that two or three hours of pushing the shutter button. Absolutely. A lot more. Okay. We're going to take a break and come back with more with Lindsay Adler. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. Okay, so we submitted a bid and it's approved and we got the go ahead. Now what do we do? Oh, this is the part that's probably the most stressful of it all. It's making it all come together, which means having all those little pieces because I'm going to be working with a lot of different moving parts. Maybe I need to research the location um, and actually firm up a date. I'm probably going to need to get the insurance for shooting on location for that date. Or maybe it's the studio. Do you have a studio that you always work with? Yeah. Well, I have my, actually one of those very, very rare people. I have my own studio. Okay, um, and it's about 1,200 square feet for huge jobs. Um, sometimes I may need to rent a larger studio. But about two weeks ago... I had a massive shoot in there with 33 people, and it, it worked. So <laughs> it barely worked, but were the, it worked. Were they in front of the camera or were 33 all together? No, 33 <laughs> sets, well, th- wow. 33 set hands, and it was it was crazy. Um, but so I'll kind of figure that out. Then I need to gather packages from model agencies, and a package is a collection of girls that are willing to work for the rate and the project that you've presented. So I reach out to the model agencies. They send me packages. I narrow it down to a few faces that I actually want to see and meet in person. And so then I'll have a casting day. And this is when they will come to the studio. And I will be able to not only have a conversation and see what they look like in person, but actually see how they move, how they interact. Because that makes a massive difference on the day of the shoot. If I know I need a girl to be able to to, uh, jump for the concept, and then somebody shows up and they're just so rigid and just not interacting with yeah. me, then that's not going to be a good person. But you can't tell that from the photos. And do you cast models f- before you'll you'll get your, your hair and makeup people in, lo- in line? Or Most, is there an order necessarily? I would say the order would be 
I already know for the most part who my hair, makeup, and wardrobe is. I have that core group. So I don't actually even need to to spend that much energy on it unless it's a specialty thing, like a body paint artist or something. Um, And I will get the model shortly thereafter because then wardrobe has to go select the clothing that will fit the model and her shoe size. And the hairstylist may need to go buy extensions that work for the type of hair the model has. So getting the model sooner rather than later is better because then everyone can prepare their parts. Um, So I will narrow it down to the girls that I thought were the best. I'll send it over to the client, and then they can narrow it down from there. And sometimes there's casting agents where you – I don't even have Mm -hmm. to do it. They'll actually have a casting agent that – and this is when there's bigger budgets. You can actually have that. Do you always deal with the same agency, modeling agency? Uh, I've got a core group. We'll put it this way. I have – Agencies that I know when I have a smaller budget that I can Mm -hmm. get someone decent. I've got, if there's a little bit more of a budget, these girls have this particular look. I have one agency that has sexier girls, one that has more commercial girls. So that's one of the reasons that being around for a while now is good because I know who fits for what. At least twice you mentioned the fact that you could have people showing up. You look at a picture, you go, based on the photograph, this person looks great. And they show up and it's like disaster. How often does that happen? it can't be 50-50, but how often does that actually happen where you get somebody there and you say, I don't know what they were thinking when they put this picture in there? Right. Well, here, so here's an interesting difference between the commercial and editorial. Most of the time for editorial, I'm not doing castings or what they call go I'm not actually mm-hmm. seeing the models beforehand. What I'm doing is, because there's not budget, uh, editorials, just as the secret in case people don't know, editorials pay you almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've Actually, I think they've cut it back since then, too. It's less than nothing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. Exactly. No, I mean, most most of the magazines, it actually is nothing. Most mm-hmm. of the magazines, you are working in exchange for your credit. You're That's not right. getting paid. And so I've shot for names that you have heard of, big magazines, where there's zero budget. Um, others, it's a couple hundred, basically, to cover food costs mm. and, and whatnot. Um, but anyway, so for these— By the way, do you have any good recipes for uh, uh, credit lines? Because I've tried broiling them, baking them, stuff. Oh, God. I, they taste terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I can't, and my too- kids refuse to eat them after a while. Just you are now. too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but it's, it's a valid point. That's true, though. A lot of people work point. just for, for, you know, there's my name on a, in a magazine, and they're happy with that. Well, and one, just, this is a whole other discussion, but one of the things that I will do is if I shoot an editorial for free— or no money, I make it work for me. So just when I work for free, just so everyone knows no one else gets paid either, it's everyone working for their books and that credit line, just like you're talking Mm -hmm. about. But then what I'll do is I'll make it work for me. So I'll take those images, and that's what I use to send out to potential clients. Hey, in case you didn't see my recent editorial in El Bulgaria, you know, wanted you to check this out because it's giving me a reason to contact them than just, hey, hire me. It's a, oh, by the way, here's a recent publication you might be interested in. So I make it work for me as That's much as trick. possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Plus, the, the way that they get you is, I mean, it's not only fantastic to see your name in print, but it's also more creative freedom so I can, you know, do whatever I want. And, True. you know, I shot a girl laying in a pool of water with, you know, beautiful uh, hair across her face and the gels. And, you know, there's really not going to be that many commercial opportunities to shoot that. And that was my concept, my idea, and I got to do it. You got to play. Yeah. So that was your payday. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's those things too. So, so anyway, so I get the models from the model agencies. Um, and most of the time it's just images when it's editorial. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I'd say 20% of the time the model's about is kind of a flop, which means if you have more time, if I can actually go see the models, or have them come to me, it's better. And uh, a lot of the agencies, what they'll allow you to do is a couple times a season, you can set up a time where you sit there and the models kind of do a line. They, they, they do a line in front of you where they, they line up and they sit down, they show you their book, you meet with them, you talk with them, they give you a comp card and you can take notes on it. So what I'll do is at the beginning of a season, they've got new girls that have come in. I can go sit there and see the people that, yes, I know this will be a good person to work with. And I can keep that in the back of my head. That's valuable. It's, That's really good. It's it has been extremely useful. The problem is, is we photographers have limited time. Uh, you know, we're always, whether you're shooting or retouching or marketing or whatever, but then you think of it this way, you do a shoot with a girl who was a flop, you wasted the day. So it's, it's kind of that decision. So what's the dynamic between with you and the models? Is it just kind of next, 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 or you have a conversation. Like there's, there's the same questions you ask. Of course you ask, you know, where are you from? How long have you been in New York? And then I usually ask, what's your favorite picture in your book? Um, I'm just Mm. curious the response and why they liked it because then I can feel 
what shoots they get into. And if it happens to be one that lines up with me, if their favorite shoot is a lingerie shoot, eh, I don't shoot that much. So, you know, but that's their thing. So maybe I know, okay, Mm -hmm. when I have a lingerie shoot in the future for, you know, a lingerie company, oh, that would be the person to. And have you ever made a decision, let's say, well, maybe she's not the most beautiful or she doesn't necessarily work for this, but her attitude is perfect and I like her. I'm going to go with her instead of somebody else. There's sometimes on a shoot where there's this one girl that's absolutely stunning, but you can tell she's just stuck up and doesn't, she's modeling because she happens to be pretty and it's for money. Whereas you can see another girl who's, you know, quite good looking, maybe isn't as striking as the other one, but she wants to be there and she loves it. You know, you're going to get better poses, better expression, better variety. She's going to give her all versus the girl that's just standing there. I'm going to have to direct her and I'm going to have to try to pull something out of her. So yeah, I mean, I've absolutely interacted with women that were absolutely stunning. And I was like, okay, it's not going to work out. It's not going to be the right fit. Chemistry Uh, ain't there. And you look at the page and nothing's jumping off. Exactly. So, um, so, you know, there might be go-sees for a shoot and things like that. And then I reach out to my, you know, for the other parts of the shoot, I reach out to hair, makeup, and wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have our back and, back and forth conversations. I'll say, for example, um, we want a 1950s hairstyle, but just, you know, yeah. concept, whatever. And then they will come back to me with, based on the model and her hair, here are five different hairstyles that might work for this shoot. And I can narrow down which I think are appropriate, or talk to the creative director on the shoot. It depends on, mm-hmm. you know, the, the job, whether there is. So we will do that. For wardrobe, same thing, is we'll figure out, okay, based on the look of this model, what do you think will look best that expresses our mood? And so by the time we get to the day of the shoot, everybody should know what's happening, what they need to bring in order for the shoot to be a success. They'll know clearly on the mood board what we're trying to achieve, um, and so then everything else can go smoothly. I put as much good, beautiful things in front of my camera as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, you know, so I'm not trying to figure things out last minute. And what about something we haven't talked about? Surprisingly enough, is uh, like your gear and your lighting decisions at that point. I mean, when do they come into play? Oh, or who cares about cameras and <laughs> lenses? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, so here, so, listen. Ignoring you, okay? <laughs> I, <laughs> I am, I'm obsessed with lighting. Like I'm, it's, it's not. It's not an exaggeration to say that I love lighting. It's one of, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite part of photography, but it, it probably is. It's I the just, basis of photography. Gosh, I love beautiful lighting. And so often as I pitch the shoot, I, I see it in my head of, okay, here's your goals. Here's the mood. Here's the client. Here's the model. Here's the feel. And I can start to build it. And really, the, any shoot that I do, every shoot, editorial, commercial, um, just for fun, The question I always ask myself at the beginning of a shoot is, what is the point of this image? What am I trying to say? What am I trying to visually communicate? When you actually answer those questions, that helps answer questions about lighting. So I'm going to say, okay, if this is meant to be soft, ethereal, um, you know, subtle, that's going to push me in the direction of one type of lighting. If this is meant to be bold, eye-catching, harsh, it's going to push me in the direction of other types of modifiers. Um, So... Usually, I don't have. I usually don't have to exactly sketch out the lighting before a shoot. Most of the time, it's here's the feel, and then I will often do a test um, mm-hmm. prior to the shoot. Once I know really the direction, I'll have my assistants come in a few days before, and I'll you know jokingly style them kind of like it, and then we'll we'll shoot just to test a few things out. And do you, do you consider them collaborators at this point? They're the, your lighting guys or girls? Do yeah, they, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's they're they're my team, and so. The, you know, a team's important, the, the assistance as well, for knowing if I'm getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. They can tell and they can come over and figure out, do you need something else? Or uh, even just if somebody's being annoying, I can set my assistant to go distract that person to stop right. annoying me. But, but for example, <laughs> but you don't have somebody that would, let's say, using the analogy of a film, like a DP, somebody who, who will kind of establish a lighting system or the color scheme on or, most of my shoots, no. On almost all of them, no. There are certain shoots I've been on where they do have dedicated grip and gaffers, and like, but I, I'm still in charge of the lighting on pretty much everything I've ever done. And do you always use the same camera, or do you always do you switch based on? Shoot? I, I 
almost, I'm pretty much always shoot with the Canon 5DS right now. Okay. Um, there are different, there are some times where I need slightly different capabilities or maybe they want me to do a film, like actually recording video um, and still combo. So I might need a 1DX or 1DX2. So that might be more appropriate because I need the 4K or I need the slow motion that I might not get from the 5DS. So you know, there's the right tools for the job, but the 5DS is probably... And lenses, lens choices? Um, I I have my go-to studio lenses. So my go-to studio lenses are the Canon 24-70 to 2.8 Mark II, the Canon 70-200 to 2.8 um, I also shoot with either a 100 or a 180 macro lens um, for a lot of my beauty work or some of the headshots, especially with the the 5DS, you know, that, that 100 is so crisp, and it just shows every detail. Do you find it to be too sharp, though? The 180 macro from Canon is a phenomenal lens. It might mm -hmm. be one of the best lenses they make. It's also ridiculously sharp, and it's interesting mm -hmm. to hear that you use macros for fashion and beauty because I know just my experience and, and speaking to a few other photographers who do this a lot, they, they're they brutally sharp. And do, do you have to dumb the image down, do you find, after, uh, after you shoot it? So it's a really interesting point. It really is that sharp. I was laughing with my friend the other day because we were retouching and I was retouching the model's face and you could see every nose hair. And it's this beautiful woman. Yeah. But you see every nose hair. And I was like, yikes. It's brutal. Um, it's but, brutal what it could show. But the point is every picture that's ever delivered to a client's retouched. So it's not even, I'd rather have as much detail, as much sharpness. And then if I need to make stylistic changes later or retouching, then that'll happen. So I'm not worried about the, you know, the raw images being too much. They, they know, and they, they know where the end file is going to be. And, and often even on set, uh, sometimes on set, I have a retoucher. Mm -hmm. um, I'll okay. actually have one. I have one that lives in Staten Island that'll come on set sometimes. And so if there's a file that they want to, okay, let me, let me see what this is going to end up like. Well, kick her over a raw file, it'll take her, she can give me a rough mock in 20 to 30 minutes, mm. and then they'll say, oh, okay, that's the direction that'll end up. And you, you're shooting tethered always yep. with your clients there? Always okay. tethered. And do you, the gear you're talking about, do you own it? Do you rent it? Uh, the lenses, the cameras, the lighting? I own everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the way she said that. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what's your, what's your choice for lighting? What's the, the company's um, gear? I shoot with Profoto, oh. and I have... A whole bunch of different stuff. I mean, sometimes if there's specialty gear that I need to rent, I will. Right. But I've got, you know, six um, Profoto D1s. I've got two Profoto B1s. I've got every modifier ever. I mean, you, you name it, I've got I've got it. Um, and then, you know, if there's times I need to rent, like I don't own the Profoto Pro Daylights, which are the constant um, lights that they have for video. But if I'm doing a still and video combo, then that's an opportunity to rent them. Can I ask about some of the, the, the specialty things on a shoot? And I've seen some of your work where you have uh, animals or mm -hmm. plants or uh, like even like the, the painting of nails and things like that. Yeah. Are you, how do you gather those people when you need them? I mean. Totally. So I've, you know, I, I have a list of people that I work with for those exact purposes. So I have two manicurists, mm -hmm. depending on the job that I work with, because it actually, surprisingly, it makes a massive difference. If somebody has terrible nails like these, mm. I'm holding up my <laughs> hands right now, okay, not, not the most lovely nails, um, you can't pose their hands near their face ever because it'll ruin the shot. So I actually work with a manicurist a lot for, um, for, for example, animal wrangling and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I, this is one of the areas where I am blessed living in New York City. There's someone that does everything right. and anything. Like you name it, you can find someone who does it. <laughs> and so there's a one particular company that that's what they do. Mm -hmm. I rented uh, parrots for the day and it came with the parrot owner and wrangler and they gave me two parrots in case one was misbehaving. <laughs> so I had two parrots for the day. Um, for set design, I have two different people that I work with for set design. One specializes in plants and flowers and, and those type of things. Another is a little bit more in like uh, living room style. So it, after time, you build up your go-to teams. Right. That, so you can confidently say, any concept that I pitched you, I've got a team that can make it happen. And you must have somebody who is making these phone calls for you, your your administrative person, your production person, mm -hmm. right? Or people, right? I mean, yeah. so. and that's one of the things that you would have someone that's their job on set is, is production. Mm -hmm. um, so they're handling, making sure that everything's arriving on time on the day of the set or beforehand making the phone calls, um, reaching out to people, getting the permits, all of that stuff. So 
Um, now, granted, I do need to backtrack and say, I did do all of this myself. Of course. This is only more recently that yeah. I actually have people to do this. How big's your team now? Or let's say your um, regular team. Well, I have two full-time employees. Mm-hmm. I also have one assistant that's my key assistant, then maybe another four or five that help out with other things. So on a set, if a typical set for me, I have, excluding my office workers, but actually on the set, there are probably six to eight people that are there for me to make my job easier to help the vision be executed in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And what's the biggest shoot you've uh, Oh, I did a shoot where 22 directed. people were there for me. Uh-huh. So 22 people I was in charge of right. and telling them what to do. Uh-huh. Well, because uh, it was set design. So the set design person had four people to help them build right. the sets. The makeup artist had two assistants. The wardrobe stylist had two assistants. The hairstylist had two assistants. And there was my team. I had four assistants. And right. the, so, and yes. the parrot had three assistants. <laughs> yes, the, the, parrot, the parrot had two for that particular <laughs> shoot. There were two assistants for the parrot. We're going to stop here for a moment, feed the parrots, and be back with more with Lindsay Adler. If you'd like to reach out to us with your questions or comments, email us at podcast at bhphoto.com. All right, so today's the day of the shoot. Mm-hmm. We walk in, what happens? Okay, so there's one more element that I want to throw in there before we walk in is there's also something called a call sheet um, that I send out, and I, it's right before the shoot. It's about three, three or four days before the shoot, and it is a breakdown of exactly how the day should go. And so it's going to tell when to show up, when I have to have certain looks achieved by. Um, I will have the contact information of everybody that's going to be there. So this might be 15 people. It'll have their website, their phone number, their email. Um, It's just a schedule of the day to keep us on track. So the reason this is relevant to the day of is I'm going to have that printed out. We're going to have that there so we can quickly access anybody who shows up late or if I'm making sure, oh, we were supposed to be on look two already and it's one o'clock, something like that. Mm. So what I usually do is I have a first assistant who – the first assistant is the boss of the other assistants, basically. <laughs> um, I will give the first assistant a task to achieve, and then their job is to make sure that whatever I said happens and they can tell the other people on set to do it. Um, the reason this is relevant is my team usually shows up before me. My first assistant shows up an hour or so before I do. At and least. I, yeah, if it's a set building mm-hmm. thing, it might be earlier. And so I will say, okay, um, I want you to set up, and I will give him roughly three heads um main light boomed with a beauty dish and a grid back two lights and want the one by four strips like i might say something like that oh and give me the primary red savage seamless you know that'll be the the gist of it or i might say you know that shoot we did three weeks ago give me that setup and that's one of the benefits of someone being on the set all the time is oh he knows exactly what it is Mm -hmm. so when i get there it sh- those key elements will be set up, but half the time, well, more than half the time, I know I'm going to change it. Um, it's just to give me those, those core pieces to work with. And uh, I, after every set, I usually tear down all the gear and reset it back up because I like to have a clean slate. Um, and it also, it's, it's a, a new working environment, a new canvas to walk into instead of just having everything messy and around all the time. So they'll set up the... So everything is broken down after the... Every shoot. I like yep. it. I like that. Every, it, everything goes back into its place. and Just like here in our studio, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dim yeah. those lights more, please. <laughs> exactly. No. no I, it, this looks lovely, guys. Um, it's a workspace. <laughs> totally. I mean, my equipment room is, it gets rowdy at times. It gets out of control sometimes, but I'm working on it. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so then I show up, and what I will do is I usually show up a little bit before hair and makeup. They usually show up. Uh, about 15 to 20 minutes, uh, well, it depends on the shoot, maybe 30 minutes before a client and a model show up. And so while the client, uh, while the model is getting the first hair and makeup look done, I make sure I have the mood boards printed out and they're taped to the mirrors so everybody's 
always seen this exactly what we're going for. I set up my gear. Um, I have a MacBook Pro 15 inch, which is on a Tether Tools Tether cable with a Tether Tools cable plugged into an ASO monitor um, so that people will be able to see exactly what I'm shooting. So then what I do is I grab one of my assistants. I will test, um, like I said, usually with the 5DS, I'll be testing some of the shots that'll come into Lightroom or Capture One, usually Lightroom, and that pops up on that monitor and that's the monitor where they're checking the shots. We're seeing if it's the right mood. And then when the model's a little bit ready, I'll usually pop her in for a shot because it looks very different on a model than it does on mm -hmm. an average yeah. assistant. Um, <clears throat> and then I usually spend that really, that, that first like 30 or 40 minutes being everyone's friend yeah. because it sets the tone for the shoot. So I make sure that people that maybe I've only talked to on the phone or through email, that I get to know their personality. Um, I always figure out what people are passionate about besides just their jobs so that we're connecting on a personal level. You know, favorite hobby, the kids, where are they from? If you talk to someone long enough, you will always find something in common, whether it's music or places you've traveled or whatever. So it gives me some point that if I can tell they're bored or moody or whatever it may be, I can bring this topic back up and, sh and shift the energy in a different direction. So I've found that... My job, sure, I need to know how to light and I need to come up with concepts and all of that, but I end up being a mix between an event planner and a therapist. Ooh, like, like that. Yeah, like it's solidly a mix of the two because like even this example, if I, <laughs> this is a really weird one, but I know that if my wardrobe stylist, if she's, looks like she's losing a little energy or she's like a little bit slower, I always in my freezer or in my refrigerator, I have ginger ale because I know that picks her up and uh, Mike and Ike's it's just like specifically to this person. This is what like picks them up. So I always have that. And I Are Mike and Ike's better when they're refrigerated as opposed to room temperature. I never really thought about that uh, for throwing it. I mean, there. yeah, right, right, right. I don't know. I mean, everything, everything seems like it has more effort if it's refrigerated, like yeah. the candy. It's like chills, Special, right? Special. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but so that's, I mean, that's the thing is I have to know everyone's personalities. And so if, you know, if, if she's dipping down a little bit, I got to pull her energy back up. And if this person slighted this person, I got to diffuse the situation. And um, so, yeah, so I spend a lot of my time getting to be everyone's friends, reading people's personalities, and then making sure everyone, the energy is is great. Let me ask for example, you've collaborated with people, you've you've dealt with getting the concept ready. How do you collaborate on the day of the shoot? Let's say, you know, your makeup person has an idea at the last minute and and they want to throw it out. Is it always it has to come to you first, right? And then and then you distribute these ideas. Or or not? How do you Absolutely. So everything comes through me, and it's more I'm the filter for problem solving. So it might be, you know what? This particular model, her hair is a lot thinner and is not really holding this hairstyle. Here's some solutions that we have, and they'll kind of pitch me those things. So usually if someone has an idea, I'll, I, I might even say, okay, well, let's try what we discussed first and then move it a different direction. Or if I think it's that much more brilliant, then I'll – take it directly to the client or whoever's there. On an editorial, I just decide yes or no. Right. Um, and an editorial is a lot, can be a lot more fun because they'll just say, oh, I've got this great idea and it, it's got this feel. I'll say, do it, go for right. it. And then if they put it in front of me and it's not working, I'll say, yeah, I think that that brow is too severe. Can we soften it a little bit? And I'll give them a, you know, a little bit more direction. Whereas I don't want to put anything questionable in front of the client to see. I don't want them to waver. So I'll put what we discussed, whereas an editorial, I'll say, yeah, give me what your idea is. I, you know, let me see it. Let's see what you're thinking. So we'll continue. You got there. You, your team is showing up. Mm -hmm. The models are in, now getting their makeup and their hair done. So usually what we do is we then shoot uh, with the model when she's ready and, and dressed. Uh, we shoot tethered. And then the client is able to look directly on the monitor and see if it's fitting what they wanted. And sometimes if there's, there might be um, a digital tech there, someone in charge specifically of managing the camera to computer to monitor, that, that whole thing, that's their job. They're not touching lights, they're touching nothing but that whole environment. So they're making sure that the client's like, oh, well, let me see what this looks like with, can you pull down the color of the skin? I want it to be paler and they should be able to lighten it up so it can give a better reflection of what we're going for is, oh man, you know, that background, it's a little bit too green. I want more teal and they should be able to do that, you know, live, create mm -hmm. a preset if that's what we're going for. And then if I, depending on the job, if something's meant to be mocked up, 
Um, it's going to be a cover or it's going to be in an ad layout, and they already know that. Uh, you can have Photoshop open. If there's a photo they like, you, ex you export it over to Photoshop. You throw the overlays, and you can kind of see how does it working compositionally. Is this, you know, the direction we were going? Um, and so really a shoot is usually, I mean, it tends to be 8 to 10 hours from start to finish. It's do, do you solid ever get full it where, day. You know, let's say you know, for example, you got something right away. And then you're just going to go through the motions for the client to kind of get more or? Definitely. Um, if I get something right away, it's usually I got the safe solution. Mm -hmm. We got the safe answer right away. We've got something that can absolutely publish. It'll absolutely work great. But let's try something else. Or, you know, maybe I'll be cheeky mm -hmm. and it was meant to be a vertical page. But like maybe I'll shoot some horizontals for a double page spread or, you know, a lead <laughs> banner on a site. So like, oh, you know, we shot this, but let's just try some different compositions now that we got that. Um, or It's a lot easier to play when you know you got the keeper in the box. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And is there the flip side where the client says, hey, you got it. We're done. And you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not happy with this and you want to keep going. Or when the client is happy, you're happy. You know, it it's so far in my experience, if you have a if you have an eight hour day planned, it's an eight hour day shoot. Like it, it almost it almost always goes that way. Sure, I've finished an hour early, an hour and a half early, but it's never like beginning of the day, done, boom. Cause then they'll maybe change the makeup a little bit or try a different hairstyle or or also for the set, let's see this with this different outfit on. Mm -hmm. We want we wanna we and a lot of times they want options because in the end they're even though the client's there, they're presenting it to someone else. They're, there's going to be other boards looking at it. So they want options to be able to present. So, yeah, it's it's always full days. You mentioned, in fact, uh, that you have the client and everybody else. They're all gathered around the monitor watching all the action. And they say, hey, can we bring this down a little bit? Can we uh, you know, saturate this? Do you ever find yourself in a situation where, where whoever is okaying the day gets bogged down in the most silliest things to a point where <laughs> things are just not happening anymore because they're busy fuddling around with a tone of something that could be dealt with later. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And how yes. do you handle that oh, man. nicely? I usually end up having to have that conversation. And so what I will do is I'll come over and say, now, of course, you know, I've got, I've got some amazing retouchers and post-processors. Let's just do we have the the composition, the core elements that we need? Let's just go, let's sit down, let's go through them. And so I'll, I will devote the 10, 15 minutes to go back through the shots. You know, let's mark the ones that you think are great. Let's narrow it down. I'll put up, now, do you think we've got it here? You know, excluding the color, excluding whatever you were, or this little detail. Yes, great. Then let's move on because it will, I, I had somebody where we were, it was two thirds of the way through the day and we had, we had five things to accomplish and we we're still on the first one. And so I had to, and sometimes they're very insistent. And it's it's interesting because they're technically the boss, but you really are mm. as well. Mm -hmm. So it's that like awkward yeah. balance. But yeah, usually if you just talk them through, say, do you feel like we've got it here? Great. Well, we will tweak that later. I can guarantee it'll be great. Give them that confidence. Move on. Mm. Yeah. But do you ever end a shoot not being totally sure that you have what you need? Is it is it too overconfident to say no? <laughs> no, I would say it's it's a professional. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. No, I mean, I I uh I've done a lot of preparation to make sure that I got what we were going for in the beginning. Like I, I mean, at minimum I have the safe solution. It might not be the most brilliant. Um I did a shoot recently where at the end of the shoot, I thought I could have done better, but I won't be I won't be ashamed to show these images. Like they're they're good quality. I think I could have been more innovative. I think it could have been something a little bit more wow, but they're good. You know, so I might walk away with that feeling. Yeah. Have you ever had to uh, let's say let's say call a reshoot or like extend several hours because you just weren't there? I've had I've definitely had the shoots run long for mm -hmm. sure. And it was usually just something was we were problem solving in the beginning that took a little bit too long or there was a problem with the location or someone showed up late. And I've only ever had to do one reshoot and it was years ago because of card corruption. And uh we had oh, a really? we had a card where we lost stuff and uh wow. I it was we were shooting on location, so back then. Now I, I try to shoot tethered, or I'll have the files downloaded on location, immediately checked. But we shot on location, so I wasn't shooting tethered, and uh, lost the files on that card. Oh, so that's yeah, ugly stuff. it was like about five years ago, and it was traumatizing. You, you had mentioned earlier about uh, um, all the gear that you have, all the equipment that you're a true mm -hmm. geek. Yeah. Um, 
were you ever in a situation where you're trying to light a shot for a certain look and you went through all of your modifiers, all the toys, and you found nothing works and you said, okay, we got to build something? Have you, have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah, there have definitely been times where I'm, I'm lighting a set, lighting a model, and it's like something's just not quite working. And most of the time, it isn't the fact that I don't have the right modifiers. It's that I'm not quite using it in the right way. And usually what ends up being is I got to stack multiple lights. And so maybe it means there's a hard main light. Mm -hmm. So for dramatic Mm -hmm. light, but with a soft fill. So it's like these creative solutions of kind of rigging the setups together. And granted, there are times I've made things like, you know, making a scrim or maybe it would be using flags and so flags block light. And I end up creating all these funky and you look at my setup and you have no idea how that was Frankenstein together, but it, but it, it just works. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that in, in the end, um, there are the right tools for the, the job, but then there's never a right answer. It's the, the rightest answer for that particular project. So I always go in, I have to do a little bit of experimentation for sure to figure out what fits everybody's goals. All right, so you're shooting. Everything is terrific, and uh, you, you know you got your shot in the box and, and backups and stuff. What do you do now? How do you present this to, the, to your client? Does the client walk out the door of the drive? Do you play with things for a while and then send it off or variations of that? Yeah, I mean, there are different variations. I would say most of the time what ends up happening is right on set, I have two GTEC hard drives. One's going to be the main, one's going to be the backup. So the backup, the raw originals exist, nothing messed up with. It's, it'll just be the pure raw files forever. Um, the other drive is what I take home with me. And what I usually do is... Sometimes clients want to see every shot. Most of the time, that's not the case. They want a selection. So maybe it'll be, I give them 200 of the best shots or, sh- uh, or so. Um, there it seems are, to me you're doing a favor if you just give them, yes. here's 200 shots. They don't want to see everything. Right. Yeah. And and sometimes the shoot, there might have been 2,000 shot in that day. Mm-hmm. I would say that's not usually the case. It's usually more around, you know, six, seven, eight hundred or, or fewer, you know. Uh, but I'll narrow it down to a couple hundred and sometimes you're going in and presenting most of the time, the rest of this is just handled online. Uh, most of the time. And so I use photo shelter. Mm-hmm. So I upload on a private password protected gallery for photo shelter and I can enable what they're able to see or download. So I could say only allow them to download 600 pixel files. And so they can only see, you know, low, low web, res, yeah. yeah, web res. Or I can allow them to download full resolution original files. I can actually set those, and I can actually track who's mm. downloading and, and whatnot. So I will set up in Photo Shelter. They'll view it, and then they will will go through the process of sending it off to a retoucher and getting it to the end look. Some clients have their retouchers that they work with. Uh, certain publications have a look and a style, for example, and so they try to keep oh, yeah. it consistent. Yeah. With the retoucher, because retouchers will make a big difference in the color grading and the detail on the skin and, and whatnot. Uh, but for a lot of the commercial jobs, that part's on me too, and I'm coordinating between the retoucher and myself. Um, and these files that I had backed up on two drives, they're then backed up um, not only on Photo Shelter for anything that's ever selected as a consideration or as a final file. I always put that on Photo Shelter, so someplace in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And then I also have um, some GTEC t- uh, rated towers that I also do a backup of anything that was also selected. So I've got about four places that the key images exist somewhere. So when it's all said and done, like after the file is delivered, after the client is happy, um, where, of course, you know, you got the invoicing part <laughs> as well. Um, I always try to do something extra. So maybe that final image, it was intended to be online only. So I'll send them a print. Mm-hmm. I'll send them a signed print that says, thank you for working with me on the back or metallic, but whatever, whatever it may be. Um, because one of the lessons that I learned early on is the the cheapest and easiest clients to attain are repeat ones. <laughs> the mm-hmm. ones that you've already had the connections with, right. the ones you've already worked with. And so it's it's follow-up and marketing to them. And it's that little gift, that that print or the thank you, or maybe it's a basket of cookies, I mean, whatever it is. It's some, a little thank you, an acknowledgement really that is. you don't take it for granted. Because there are so many photographers they could have chosen. Yeah. I, you know, no matter how much I, if you want to say you're talented, you're unique, there's a lot of talented and unique photographers out there. They could have chosen someone else. So I try to maintain that relationship afterwards. And that leads to opportunities for those other big jobs, those follow-up mm. jobs. Absolutely. 
the only experience I had with fashion photography, I saw Zoolander about two years ago. Oh, wow. Um, that was, that's my, <laughs> so I don't know how accurate that is. Um, uh, we were talking earlier about with retouching and um, when you go to print, the, the, all the color and everything is crushed. I think we have like, four stops of latitude when you go to print. So it's not much. And you're dealing with fashion and beauty, and a lot of times color is very, very critical and a lot of other things because you're selling makeup or something of that sort. It's a very specific kind mm-hmm. of look you have. Do you have to have images retouched differently for different publications depending on where it's being printed and what kind of paper? So this is a conversation that is had. So first of all, when I'm actually shooting, um, just as far as color, I'm using an X-Rite Passport color checker to make sure that I have a good reference point and I can actually create custom color profiles Mm -hmm. uh, based on the camera and the lens combination and the lighting and all of that. So I'll I'll usually do that. Um, When I am having an image retouched, I will absolutely have a discussion about that initial retouch, maintaining as much detail in the shadows and detail throughout the image as possible. Um, Because a lot of times we do add maybe a little extra sharpening at the end, or we'll add a little bit of extra contrast at the end. But I want that added later on for the medium that it will be displayed. Mm -hmm. And often they're working with somebody on the printing and publishing end that actually makes those tweaks to make the file look its best. So I'm delivering as much information as humanly possible. Um, but usually from the retoucher, I'll say, give me as much information as possible. Don't crush the blacks. Don't blow out the highlights. And then if I want to do a stylized effect, I'll, I could send them both um, uh, okay. so that they can then either modify it to print later or this is like the vision of what I want it to look like. But I know that the medium you're using, you might need a little more latitude. You shoot RAW and JPEG fine or how, what do you shoot? I use I shoot the largest RAW file possible okay. when I'm shooting. Just the RAW. That's it. Um, There have been times where I'm shooting tethered where I will have it popping automatically over to an iPad where I might shoot, you Mm -hmm. know, a JPEG fine Mm -hmm. to pop over to that um, for tethering purposes. But I always have the largest, largest raw file I possibly can get. And it's delivered, you know, 16-bit TIFF as much as I can give them. All right. Well, this has been another terrific episode. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jason. And a special thank you to Lindsay Adler. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us one heck of a good education. And for anybody who wants to see more of your work, what is your website? You can find me at lindsayadlerphotography.com. Okay. And also, from what I understand, there's an ebook coming out pretty soon. Yeah. I actually, I came out with it last month, and it is an ebook on creative studio lighting. So I know that there was a time where I went from understanding the essentials of studio lighting and then wanting something a little bit more. So I actually created this ebook as a resource for photographers to kind of push their creativity in studio. And there are five completely free setups that people can download. And where can we get that? If you if you visit me at learn.lindsayadlerphotography.com, I've also got free videos from that guide up there. So you got the videos, you got the guide, you can find all of it there. Sounds like cool stuff. I like that. Keep in mind that you like what you hear, give us a tweet at bhphotovideo with the hashtag bhphotopodcast. On behalf of everybody here, my name is Alan Weitz. Thank you so much for tuning in today.